Hello and welcome to On Mission, a podcast from the Catholic Apostolate Center. My name is Chris Pierno, and I'm joined by Kate Fowler and Father Frank Donio, as well as Father Andrew St. Hilaire, and we'll be discussing holy orders with him today. Uh, thank you, Father Andrew, for, for joining us. Can we call you Father Andrew? That is perfectly fine. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Father, tell us, uh, tell our listeners a little bit of, uh, a little bit of background about yourself. Sure. Um, I'm a native of uh, actually New Hampshire, uh, moved to the Harrisburg area in 2005 with my immediate family. I've lived there since, did my undergraduate studies at Catholic University of America, and that's where I first came to know and, and be part of the Catholic Apostle Center and its mission, and uh, entered seminary shortly after uh, my undergraduate experience at Catholic University, attended Mount St. Mary's Seminary, and was ordained a priest for the Diocese of Harrisburg uh, just last year in 2019, in which I'm now assigned as the parochial vicar at St. Francis Xavier Parish in historic Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and also serve as the chaplain at Gettysburg College. So again, it's just wonderful to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So one year as a priest, and uh, Chris and, and I had the opportunity to be there at your your ordination. It was quite a wonderful experience, and yep. which you know is always very moving. I mean, wouldn't you say, Chris? You know, when we have the, yep. the, those, especially when you know somebody for so long. Yes, not a dry eye in the pew. No, no, no definitely. <laughs> More on the altar, I'm sure. <laughs> How uh, so? It's been a year uh, as of June first, right? Yeah, correct. June first, uh, and so what's that been like? I mean, and of course, especially now, also with the pandemic and everything else. But what's what's that for your first year of priesthood been like? I think the best way to describe that would probably be a roller coaster in the best sense of the expression, because I never would have thought in one year of priesthood that I would be assigned to massive parish that's bilingual with a wonderful pastor who was recovering from chemo treatment from having stage three colon cancer earlier uh, in that year then having just the whirlwind of, as many people know, our, our diocese in February filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And so having to navigate our parish family through that, and then now just with the pandemic, I would have never thought that such would all happen in one year. But it's been a very eventful year, and I, I really, truly mean this. I would have had it no other way. And with it came many great joys, one actually including your 25th uh, anniversary Mass as a priest, Father Frank. So with it came many, many joys and, and blessings. Uh, two weeks after uh, Father Andrew was ordained, he was he preached at my 25th anniversary Mass at, at the Catholic University of America. And uh, it was a, a spectacular homily and one that uh, friends and family still talk about. And there is a recording of it, in fact, so we can maybe make that available yep. at some point. It was a great homily. 
not a dry eye in the pew or on the altar. <laughs> no, no, definitely, definitely, definitely not. But on top of everything else, Father Andrew, you're also uh, a college chaplain. Yes, that's correct. And how's that been? You know, that's a certainly been a, a probably an adventure in and of itself. It's been very much of an adventure. Um, it's been a wonderful blessing. We, I, I've been very blessed to have a wonderful director of campus ministry, Mary Giesemann, who I've had the pleasure of working with. And she, she's done a fantastic job. It's, it's a different dynamic than what I experienced at Catholic University. Gettysburg College is a smaller school, and it's uh, in name a, a Lutheran college. So there's a very different dynamic. But it, it's been wonderful to minister to the students there. Although it's funny because the students at Gettysburg College are very academic. They're very studious. And so there have been a, a couple of times where uh, I realized I wasn't the only nerd in the room. So that, that was a, <laughs> quite a, a, a fun and joyful experience. But the, the college students are wonderful. And I'm very thankful for my experience at Catholic University. It, it definitely prepared me well for this ministry. So we're blessed to have two priests with us tonight, and I was just wondering if both of you, Father Frank and Father Andrew, could share a little bit about your vocation story and how you knew you were called to be a priest. Father Frank, would you like to go first? Okay. Uh, It was something, an idea that was there from when I was about, I'd say, 10, 11, 12 at, at the when I, I had more conscious awareness of it. Uh, and I not only wanted to be a priest, I wanted to be a Palatine. I grew up with the Palatines in my home parish, and they just were uh, terrific uh, to to me and to, to the way I was trying to live the faith. And But I went all through public school. And so when I, uh, so that was, it was a little bit of, exotic to be thinking about priesthood and you're not necessarily in an environment, but I had a very Catholic upbringing and a Catholic home and, and so forth, um, which is a more, bit more of a challenge for some people today. Some people, some vocations today, they don't, it's not really their experience, but I got to the point of, of college and I had applied to, to the Catholic university of America and I was accepted there. And then I had been doing vocation retreats and things like that. I looked at other possibilities in terms of the vocation of marriage, the uh, vocation to holy orders as a diocesan priest, a priesthood and as a diocesan priest. But really the Palatines were, were my main focus. And I knew they were in the area. So I said, well, whatever God wants. And then the vocation director came along and said, because I've been on various retreats, you know, would you like to apply? And I took that as an, as an answer and did apply and entered and was very involved on campus and so forth as an undergrad, uh, because we, we try to get involved in the life of, of wherever we find ourselves as Palatines and then was doing my religious formation. And so, uh, and then was ordained a priest and that was now over 26 years ago and have had a tremendous 
uh, experience and a variety of ministries over many, many years um, that range from education to to shrine ministry to part-time chaplaincies to uh, assisting in parishes, all this kind of stuff. And it's been just a wonderful, wonderful and joyous uh, experience and one that I would never, ever trade. How about you, Father Andrew? I, I was just going to say, I, I owe a, a great deal of gratitude for your own priestly vocation in terms of helping me discover and respond to my own vocation. The call to the priesthood for me started at, I think, a rather young age. At least there was a strong impression of it. When I was five, I, still living in New Hampshire at that time, our pastor of our parish, uh, Father Mark Motmany, who you actually know Father Frank, was just a wonderful leader in our parish. He, He was pastor, actually, of that parish for 26 years. So he was there for a very, very long time. But his fatherly presence in our community very much left a strong impression on me. And so from that, even when I moved to Harrisburg, the the Harrisburg area, that impression remained. And it really wasn't until I entered uh, my uh, freshman year at Catholic University of America that I decided to take this process of discernment a little more seriously, a little more intensely. And the blessing about being a Catholic university is being in Washington, D.C., you're surrounded by a variety of different religious communities. And so at that time, I actually had a decent sense that God was calling me to be a priest, but I didn't know what context. Would it be religious life? Uh, Would it be diocesan priesthood? If so, which diocese? I've lived in three during my life at this point. So it was really going through that process, being part of the CUA Knights of Columbus, being part of various discernment groups, going on discernment retreats. One of those religious uh, groups uh, that I actually uh, seriously discerned for a while was was uh, the Palatine community. And its spirituality very much still resonates with me to this day. But uh, I, I finally, I think, got to a point where I, I realized that the charism of my life has directed me towards diocesan priesthood. And so I actually made the decision to study right after college at St. John's Seminary in Brighton, Massachusetts for the Diocese of Manchester. At that time, I made the decision. It made a lot of sense. My roots are in Manchester. That's where I first had that call. So I thought it was a no-brainer. Little did I know, though, that as I went through my seminary experience at St. John's, which I absolutely loved, I found a restlessness and just this desire to return back to Harrisburg. And looking back on that, that was a really risky, (laughs) terrifying decision to make in terms of switching dioceses at that time. Because I had everything going well in the Diocese of Manchester. I couldn't have been happier there, but I knew something was missing. And it, it took a great deal of prayer and 
seeking the advice and counsel of others to, to make the decision to switch and study for the Diocese of Harrisburg. So I made that move in 2015, and I ended up at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. But all through that time, though, I realized God was using each path as a means to help me grow in holiness and to better respond to his calling to, to be a faithful disciple, to be a faithful apostle. And so I, I look back at each step that God led me on and, and just in awe of how God took each part of my life as a means to lead me to the next step and prepare me for the next challenge. So let's talk a little bit about the the ordination mass itself and the experiences and the feelings. Uh, I mean, I think obviously being that being in the pew and being, you know, uh, one of the ordinandi are very different. Can we talk a little bit about the experience of your ordination and maybe talk a little bit about for our listeners, what makes the ordination mass uh, different from a regular mass? I joke with people that an ordination is like a wedding in the sense that you look back on it and it's all like a blur in terms of your memory. Uh, because, uh, you know, you're just going through so many different emotions and experiences all at once that it, it's impossible to contain it all in one moment. Well, I, I mean, I remember from my own ordination day, just the profound joy that I had getting to see all different friends and family members who have walked with me and, and accompanied me at different points in my life to be all together at this one moment for me to respond to this vocation affirmatively and, and receive that gift is it, it, it's something that words are not adequate to describe in terms of joy. But one of the things that has always moved me during the rite itself, the, the rite of the ordination mass in general, I think what makes it different than a regular mass is that First, you notice the different postures that the candidate makes before being ordained. One posture is kneeling before the bishop. The candidate kneels before the bishop, pledges his promise of obedience. And in many ways, this draws one back to our Lord in the garden the night before he was crucified. As he's kneeling in prayers, submitting himself to the will of the Father. In many ways, a priest is doing the same thing to his spiritual father, the, the, the bishop, saying, I, I make this promise of obedience to you. I trust that your will is through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and so your will be done. And following that, right after that, is the prostration the, where the priest lies face down on the ground. And in that, we recite the litany of the saints, calling out the communion of saints for their strength and support, asking that the saints intercede to God on the candidate's behalf. In many ways, this brings about the fulfillment of uh, the, the, the cross of, of Christ in the sense that it, it draws one back to Christ laying down his life for us. And the candidate at that point is laying down his life, submitting to the will of the Father. So just as our Lord in the garden embraces the will of the Father and then enacts that will on Good Friday, the priest 
or excuse me, the candidate, I should say, submits to the will of God through his bishop by kneeling in obedience to him and then enacting that very act of obedience by laying prostrate on the ground. I think this really highlights the uniqueness of the ordination mass from a normal mass in the sense that in a normal mass, we're, in many ways, we're, we're embracing the common priesthood of believers, the, the common priesthood by virtue of our baptism. We're all called as baptized to participate in Christ's mission. As the Catholic Apostles say, there's a great job emphasizing we're all called to be apostles, which is what our common priesthood embraces. And the celebration of Mass manifests and strengthens this vocation for all the baptized to attend. It's why we conclude the Mass with go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. It's saying, go, go and proclaim the gospel, go and fulfill your common priesthood. But through the sacrament of holy orders, bishop and priest are given a specific and unique role in carrying out this mission. And this is what we call the ministerial priesthood. And so I think the rite of ordination beautifully highlights the uniqueness, the distinctiveness, and the beauty that this ministerial priesthood offers for the universal church. So the sacrament of holy orders then, in the United States Catechism for Adults, it talks about the effects of the sacrament. And just off of what you were saying, the sac- this sacrament configures the bishop and priest to Christ as head of the church in Christ's threefold office of priest, prophet, and king, this sacri- and then this sacrament configures the deacon to Christ as servant. So with holy orders, we have three, the deacon, the priest, and uh, and bishop. And you go through each one. Like For a time, there, there are those who are cons- called permanent deacons, but for, for a time, you're what's were a, a transitional deacon. So what was that like in terms of that? You know, there you, you were for a number of years in the seminary and you're ordained a deacon. And what, what is that service? What was that service like? And then how was, how did that also prepare you for your priesthood? Good question. Uh, the fascinating thing is that my deacon assignment is actually at the same parish to which I'm assigned to now. So I was assigned as a deacon here at St. Francis Xavier. And I can say there were a lot of baptisms. I think I did 50 baptisms <laughs> my uh, first summer as a deacon. So getting to experience of joint baptism was remarkable. You definitely receive a, a grace in terms of preaching. I look back at my old homilies that I did as a practice in the seminary and look at them like, this is terrible. This is, <laughs> this is not good. But realizing that there is a grace conferred on the one ordained to proclaim the gospel. But with that, too, I think there's also a realization, and perhaps maybe I had the false expectation that, oh, being a deacon, it's like almost exactly like a priest minus mass. And it actually was a lot more distinct. There's a lot more to look forward to with priestly ordination. And so the... uh, time of transition as a deacon really helped prepare for that. Uh, it, Of course, as a deacon, you make the uh, promise to be faithful to the liturgy of the hours. And so ensuring that that serves as the, the foundation, the pillar of your daily prayer was something that I came to really love even more deeply. Of course, I was praying the liturgy of the hours as a seminarian prior to diaconate ordination, but it's a whole different experience when you make a promise that for the rest of your life, 
you are going to pray this prayer on behalf of the universal church. And so I would say that in, in those specific as, aspects, the Akinor nation uh, very much prepared me for the soon to come uh, ordination to the priesthood. And so the, the deacon in the Latin churches ordained to proclaim the gospel and preach, to baptize, as you mentioned, to assist the bishop or priest in the celebration of the Eucharist, to assist at and bless marriages, to preside at funerals, and to serve the community through works of charity. And then the priest, this is again from the Catechism for Adults, U.S. Catholic Catechism for Adults, priest is given the grace to proclaim the gospel and preach, to celebrate the sacraments, accept holy orders, and to shepherd the people entrusted to him. And then the bishop is given the grace to teach in the name of the church, to sanctify the church through the celebration of the sacraments, to guide, govern, and defend the church, and to be a sign of unity of the church. And really, the priest also shares in that that ministry of the bishop of teaching, sanctifying, and governing, particularly as a diocesan priest. So can you talk about a little bit, you did do some discerning about religious priesthood, diocesan priesthood, maybe to make the distinction between the two? Sure. Although, I mean, I, I think you would do a far better job than, than I could in terms of describing the beauty of a religious life as a religious priest yourself. I would say that with religious life, you are being called to serve the church in the context of a particular community with a particular mission. You know, apostolic societies is, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, Father Frank, you know this better than anyone, but they're called with a specific ministry mission and they do such in the context of a communal life. A uh, religious order such as the Dominicans or the Franciscans, the, the Dominican orders have this vocation to ha have a specific ministry, but very much centered around the communal life. And then you have monastic life, such as a Benedictine or, or Carmelite or Carthusian, who very much even focuses even all the more intensely on the communal life in its primary function in, in terms of living out a, a life of, of prayer and communal living. And for a diocesan vocation, you are called to a communal life in a certain respect, but it, it's different in that your community is much more specific geographically. You know, I'm called to be a priest in South Central Pennsylvania in the region known as the Diocese of Harrisburg. Not really beyond that, unless God has uh, other plans in mind, but I have no intention of uh, traveling outside of Pennsylvania in terms of ministry. So with the diocesan vocation, there's a geographical limit that, that one places in that regard. Your community is in the context primarily, if not exclusively, in the parish form. And so it, it's really an embrace of a parish community as your at, as your community. So those are probably for me what I would describe as the practical distinctions, but 
I'm sure, Father, you could most certainly add onto both the practical and the theological distinctions. You did a, a fantastic job, as always, uh, Father Andrew. So thank you for that. I, I we wanted to ask uh, uh, Kate and and Chris about kind of your experience. You you've had personal experiences, which not a lot of people often will get. Uh, personal experiences of uh, of priests, of uh, of deacons, uh, of maybe some bishops as well, but. Maybe particularly since we we have we're talking about priesthood a little bit more in terms of holy orders, what's that experience been like? Because I think sometimes, in some instances, because of of the situation of the abuse crisis, uh, but in other uh, instances, just because of maybe the way parishes are or ministries are, people don't necessarily get that close up kind of view or even friendship. Where I think. Both of you have some unique experiences around that, and maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad you asked, Father. I was actually thinking about that as Father Andrew was talking about, just thinking about, yeah, my own experiences with priests in my life. And I went to a Catholic school growing up from kindergarten to eighth grade, and in that context, the priest was always this mysterious, elusive figure that we had weekly mass as a school on Friday and he would kind of show up to different events, but I didn't have any personal connection to him or any personal relationship with him. And, but apart from, you know, the, the guy up there that did mass. And it was really when I moved to Washington, DC that I got to see the vibrancy of the priesthood and of the of the Catholic Church in its diversity, as Father Andrew was just talking about the different religious orders. And I I guess I'll I'll backtrack a little bit prior to that. I went to a Jesuit undergrad in in Northern California and some of the that was really the first time that I ever got to know priests as as friends and mentors. I remember specifically two two of the Jesuit priests came with us to World Youth Day in Madrid, and they really were were like fathers to the group of ten students that went to World Youth Day, and that was a, a huge pivotal moment in my reversion as as a young Catholic of the first time I personally embraced my faith, and having them to kind of go through that process with me. While we went for on our pilgrimage, we had daily mass and daily scripture reflection and small groups and adoration and all these wonderful opportunities that really helped me cultivate my faith and take it even further. But then, as I said earlier, I moved to the Washington, D.C. area after college to do a year of service with the Catholic organization and was just astounded by the diversity and the beauty and the life that I encountered here with the priesthood and all of the different men who were just on fire with their vocations. And so I've, I feel really blessed to live here. Now, as a, as a married person and as a mom, something that I think about often is how to show my children the beauty of of the vocations that the church offers and the diversity there and also of the priestly life 
And I, I personally didn't have that growing up, even though my parents are incredibly faithful. And one of my uncles is a priest who actually married my husband and I, which was really beautiful and special. But, you know, we never had priests coming over for dinner or this really personal relationship with, with any of them growing up. So something that my husband and I have been very intentional about is inviting our pastor over for dinner at least once a month when his schedule permits. And we had our house blessed as soon as we moved into it two years ago now. And um, also our pastor has baptized both of our sons. So my sons do have much more of a personal relationship with our pastor, and I want to foster that as a lay person. And maybe something that we can talk about later is, is what you both think are helpful ways that the laity can support your vocations. That's something that I've been thinking about also. But that's just a little bit about my experience with the priesthood so far. I have had the opportunity to, as Father had has mentioned, to attend uh, not only Father Andrew's priestly ordination, but several diacon, diaconate ordinations and another priestly ordination, and hopefully this summer a few more. And, you know, it's, Father Andrew mentioned it's like a wedding. It, yes, it's very much, you know, especially at work when people are like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? And people are saying, oh, I have a friend's wedding or whatnot. Oftentimes I did find myself at one point saying, oh, I have another ordination to go to and, you know, got to, you know, pack up the car and go and whatnot. But it, I, the first, I, I think, I'm not sure what, well, the first one that I got to go to, and I, I can't recall if it's Father Andrews or another center connected person father father brett garland's it was one of the most emotional experiences of my faith life thus far i don't think i was properly prepared for what i was going to experience it is, it's almost, and obviously this is just from someone sitting in the pew. I can only imagine what the experience is like for those, for the Ordnandi and the folks uh, on the altar. But um, it, it, it transcends any kind of emotion that I was, am able to describe. There's one particular point during the Mass that the and I, and either of you can correct me to the proper terminology of this but it's the when the the the, sh, the after the priests are ordained officially and the other priests that are in attendance can celebrating uh whether they're on the altar or in the pews depending on you know how big the mass is they all come up and embrace the newly ordained and it it is the emotion of seeing that happen every time. This also occurs at the diaconate ordinations, except it's the deacons, permanent and transitional, that that do this. It is 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 as is tremendous. It's this idea I have described it to many people as 
the reinforcements coming from the base that are here to, you know, reinforce the battle. And it's it's just that one moment is, I think, describes, you know, what everyone they're witnessing feels that we are so with filled with joy that there are these men who have made this decision to, you know, put, put their lives on the line for us. And there's that moment alone is a reason. If everyone, anyone listening has the opportunity to attend an ordination, whether you know the priests or not, uh, I would I would highly encourage you going. It will it will affect your your faith if you've never seen it before. And I mean, I guess I mean that moment alone is is it's just you know so th- incredibly thankful for the men you know who have chosen this vocation and just yeah the the it, it's it's tremendous. And I again, like I said, I can only I can only imagine what it's like for you you guys going through that and seeing, you know, the men that have mentored you perhaps, or that you have served with as deacons, or you've even gone through seminary with. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Going back to the ways that the lady can help foster vocations in their own family and create a culture and community of vocations that supports vocations and talks about it. Has you as priests, what is your opinion on how we can help cultivate that? And and how have you experienced the laity, the laity supporting you in your min- mission and ministry? Honestly, the best recommendation I can make, and it's uh, unfortunately not a recommendation that may be suitable in this time of a pandemic, but when the opportunity comes, invite a priest to dinner. I think that is honestly the best thing that the laity can do is just invite priests into their homes. Because if it's one thing that I think cannot be more beautifully experienced is seeing how the priestly life and the life of the the faithful very much feed off of each other and receive life from the other. So I found that what fostered my vocation growing up is when my parents invited our pastor for dinner during the Christmas season. Yeah, I think it kind of removes that mysterious veil, Kate, that you kind of alluded to um, of, of the priest in elementary school. It's, it's kind of humanizing the priest in that sense for your family and, and having them see a, a priest in, in your home firsthand. But also it, it gives the priest a great source of life, I think. I mean, for me, the greatest moments that I have just loved in my priesthood is being around families with kids just running around in, in, in the chaos of, of, of family life. So I, I would very much encourage the lay faithful, practically, practically speaking, a great way to support vocations, to support your priest is invite him over for dinner. Uh, I know it sounds really perhaps overly simplistic, but it's a small thing that makes a great difference that places a wonderfully positive impact on not just the priest, but on the family. 
I think also, and I think that's a great uh, example of something very practical that can be done. I think another way too that's that's very practical is what you were talking about earlier, Kate, about introducing the breadth of vocations in the church. And I think that sometimes is not necessarily introduced uh, to children. And the other difficulty that I've seen over the years in working with those who are discerning what their vocation life is, and I've and, and in working with with a number of you know of people who found marriage as their vocation, or who you know came to know that marriage was their vocation, or consecrated life, or priesthood. Um, what I have found is is also if the presence or lack of presence of encouragement or active discouragement on the part of parents. Some family members as well, but more so on the part of parents, there's a high influence that parents have. And if it's, and and it, it can go both ways. You don't want also a person to push somebody into a vocation to the priesthood or consecrated life or when they may not be called to it. And that has happened in the past. And so I'm not encouraging that at all. But more that if somebody is is considering it to not have a negative, just simply an, uh, a very quick negative response. Oh, no, you know, we need priests, but not my son. That kind of thing. And, and that seems to studies show that that's actually fairly common among act, even active Catholics and practicing Catholics, that parents will, uh, one or another, will actively discourage partially because of a variety of things that, we, that have occurred within the church and the way priesthood may be seen or that type of thing, concern about their, their son, they're all, it's all valid. But it can be just so disheartening because I, I've had to listen then at, as a spiritual director to young men who are discerning priests and they're just so devastated that their parents – are unwilling to talk about it, or one or another of the parents is unwilling to talk about it, or is just so negative they can't even bring it up. And so I think just being open and letting a person, letting uh, a young person discern and let God take that path it doesn't have to be heavy handed in either direction. So Father Andrew, we want to give you one of the final, the final word here. We really appreciate your coming and being our, our guest uh, here on On Mission. And so what are some of your, your hopes? And you're, you're a year ordained you're, and, and moving forward. What were some of your hopes in terms of your life in Christ as, as a priest? That's a really good question, Father Frank. Uh, I would say that, to put it as simply as I can, my hope would be just to bring souls to Christ, to to have as many people that I encounter come to know and love Christ more deeply through my ministry. I remember uh, just the, the profound joy of uh, experiencing just, just a celebration, Father Frank, of your 25th anniversary and uh, as a priest and seeing all the different various uh, peoples whom you have encountered through your own priestly ministry 
and seeing the, the gift of those encounters have brought about to your priesthood, but to the life of others. That's something, frankly, I think every priest wants and, and hopes for is just to have more apostles, to have more faithful disciples who love Christ deeply and, and wish to proclaim his love to the world. And I hope that through my ministerial priesthood, I can fulfill that and, and draw other people into that, into that great relationship, which I've been so blessed to have been invited to participate in and have received throughout my life. Thank you very much, Father Andrew, for joining us today. It has been a joy and pleasure discussing the ministerial priesthood and learning more about your and Father Frank's vocational discernment and priestly journey. This wraps up another episode of On Mission by the Catholic Apostolate Center. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And be sure to share this with a friend. Find us and other Center podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, or the CatholicApostolateCenter.org. Together, we can revive faith, rekindle charity, and form apostles.